Well, I'm reminded one time I was talking to Wayne Kilpatrick, and not not the Wayne Kilpatrick that works for Heritage Christian, but the potentate of Alabama, Wayne Kilpatrick, down in Birmingham, and he was telling me that one time he they were he was at church. Of course, he sat down front like I was just doing, and he's you know song leader. It was a song before the sermon, and he said, "You always stand up on the song before the sermon." So he said, I stood up, and I'm up there, you know, adjusting my britches, and we're singing, and suddenly I turned around, and I was the only one standing. Well, I turned around, and I'm the only one sitting. Bad hearing is difficult. I kept thinking, when's he going to say stand up? Well, this isn't a stand up song. He must not have said stand up. And obviously you said something everybody heard except me. But anyway, good to be here. I appreciate you being back with us this evening, and I was hoping for a bunch of visitors from other congregations, but we'll get them probably tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And uh, the re- I, I put this the sermon that I brought with me for this evening was in anticipation of having people from several different congregations, but that doesn't make it any less effective or less important or hopefully less meaningful. I just thought maybe it would be good for some leaders in other congregations to hear it as well. But uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I tell you what, I was impressed too you got an old guy up here leading singing, and all of them were eight and nine hundred numbers. That's, the young folks would be impressed. At least at Grant Street they would anyway, because they're not used to us old folks singing back there in those eight and nine hundreds. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, a very familiar passage. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry... For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We want to look this evening at the idea that I says, as I mentioned this morning, am I a church member or a church customer? You know, as a rule, we are very well trained as customers. You know, we are constantly evaluating products, brands, and advertisements to try to decide which one of those is worthy of my time and my money. In fact, I read several years ago, and I'm trying to think of, uh, it just hit me that, anyway, that the average American spends, I believe it's nine hours, and probably more than that now, but this was several years ago, and I think it was nine hours a week or a month just looking up things to buy, you know, things that they might be interested in shopping for. You know, and I'm sure it's more than that now with the internet 
really rolling and Amazon and, and all this stuff where, you know, and folks like me with Cabela's.com and BassPro.com and all of that, and you can look through there and dream about stuff that you already own three of them, but for some reason you think you need another one and, you know, until your wife lets you know for certain you don't. But anyway, that, that's, a, that's a different story. We don't need to go there. She's not here to defend herself, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off that one. But anyway, the point is we're trained. We evaluate, we do all that. And that mindset serves us well when it comes to evaluating products and determining what is the best value. You know, I look at what I need. I evaluate those things that are out there that are supposed to fill that need. And so, you know, I go searching and I try to find the right product or service that matches what I want. And when it comes to as a customer, that's a perfectly logical and productive way of thinking. However, it is the antithesis of what church membership is supposed to look like. And unfortunately, that customer mentality of the church may, may very well be the prevailing mentality even in the Lord's church today. And I know it is in quite a few congregations. So let's take a look at three reasons why customer Christianity is wrong. And then we'll look quickly at three ways that church leadership hopefully can avoid developing customers in the congregations that they serve. First point about customers, customers are not loyal. Typically, we are going to do and buy whatever brand suits us best at the moment. Now, I mentioned this morning that I do all the grocery shopping. You know, I'm a price guy. You know, I can go to the pharmacy at Walmart or Publix or wherever, and I can look at, you know, sinus product, you know, headache products, and I can look at the name brand, and I can look at the store brand, and I'm quite capable of picking up a box and reading what the active ingredients are. And when they are exactly the same thing, and the store brand is 2 or $3 cheaper for the same number of pills, then I'm going to go with the store brand. Now, there are people that will just promise you that the name brand works better, and it's got to be all in your head because it is the exact same thing. So I'm not really a brand guy. Now, when I go shopping, there are a couple of things that I have to do. It's not me. It's that lady I've been living with for 46 years that she's been putting up with me. And so, you know, when you get mayonnaise, it gotta, it's got to be Kraft. It can't be Hellman's. It can't be the Walmart brand. It can't be any, It's got to be Kraft. And when you get laundry detergent, it's got to be Tide. Other than that, it really doesn't matter. Even to her. And so, you know, I, unless she wants those seasoned greens and they've got to be Allen's. You know, A-L-L-E-N. I don't know why, but apparently they're great. I don't eat the garbage, but apparently that's, that's pretty good stuff. So, uh, but for the most part, you know, if I, we, you know, I've got on the grocery list, you know, two cans of corn. Well, I'm looking. You know, if great value or Lux or whatever is cheaper than, you know, Jolly Green Giant, that's what I'm buying. You know, the only thing that matters is it whole kernel or cream corn. And, you know, but, you know, I, brand, and that's customers. Customers are not loyal. The days for most people, now I know with some 
Some folks and some the older generations, perhaps like me and others, there are some people that are very much brand loyal, but for the most part, the younger generation in particular, those days are over. There is so much competition that if another company offers a better product at a better value, or we perceive it to be a better product at a better, we switch. We switch. And the reason there's no brand loyalty is because customers have no investment into a company. You know, we buy their products, but now, now you may own some shares in something, and if you do, I'm guessing you probably buy that product. You know, when, when Progress Bank opened in, in Decatur, I was able to, I was at the low end of the investment, the smallest amount that let anybody buy shares in before it opened, and I did, because I've never heard of a bank that, that went under. You know, I'm sure they're out there, and I figured if I invested in one, this would be the one, but so far, so good. But the point is, I invested, so I moved my bank account from Regions to Progress as soon as they opened. Why? Because I, I'm invested in them. I want to go in there. I want them to know my name. I want them to, you know, I want them to control. I want to see what kind of, you know, see, I want to, I'm interested. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus said, by the way? What did he say about where your treasure is? That's where your heart is? If you're invested in a company that's traded on the stock exchange in New York, I can almost guarantee you, maybe not every day, but ever so often, on a fairly regular basis, you're trying to read all those stock prices and you know the little ticker symbol for the one you're invested in and you're watching, is it a plus or a minus? Why? Because you got your money there. And where I put God, the money God lets me have, that's where my heart is. That's where my interest lies. That's why Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know, and I do that through good works. I do that through contributions to the work of the church. And I assure you, People that drop in 12, 13, 14, 15% of their pre-tax paycheck care about what happens at that congregation. I can guarantee you they care. That's the reason they're giving. People that drop in 4 or 5% are just kind of, well, okay, whatever. But when you're invested, see, it makes a difference. Customers are not invested. So consequently, they have no reason to be loyal. And the same thing goes for people who come to church as customers. And you'll hear it expressed something like this. You know, I'm just not getting enough out of this service. You know, something needs to give. I'm just, I'm not really getting, you know, I like the preaching and the singing better down there. You know, at that other place. Or, or I believe, you know, I believe that I want to go somewhere different from my kids. Now, I'm not holding it against people who want to attend a congregation when they have children at home, they want to attend a congregation that has a bunch of children. I understand that to a point. But, you know, at some point, somebody's got to stay. Because I remember when Janice and I first got married. Of course, I was just 17. She was 16. And so, you know, we were just kids. And then we had a 10 months later, our first child was born. So we're kids raising a kid. But anyway, our children raising a child, I've been told kids are baby goats, children are you know, or baby humans. But anyway, so, you know, we were children raising a child. But I remember back then when you tried to get credit. I'm talking back in the early 70s, and I know many of you can remember way before that. But, you know, the first credit card we got was the Montgomery Ward card. You remember that store? Been closed forever and a day. The first suit I ever bought was I bought at Montgomery Ward using that credit card. It had like a 
$250 or $300 limit, and we thought we were chopping in high cotton, man. And, you know, because we're in college, we're broke, and, boy, I've got a credit card to store. That is amazing. Nowadays, you know, teenagers are getting sent applications for credit cards with ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 credit limits. I had to get my, I was married with a child. Not that that meant anything to some people, but I wanted to go to the bank and start developing credit. You know, I had to get my dad to co-sign for me, and what I did, I got him to go down to the bank with me and co-sign on a $1,000 loan for no other reason than just to take the money and then pay it back. And then I had a credit ready and I got to do it on my own. The idea was, back then, they'd tell you, well, son, I'm sorry, you, we can't give you credit until you get have credit. And I'm like, how in the world am I going to get credit if you don't let me have credit? I can't get credit until I have credit, and I'll never have And so many congregations, you can't get young people until you have young people. Well, it's impossible that somebody with a young person has got to decide to stay and make it work. You know, and we deal with that at Grant Street all the time. But regardless, I didn't mean to run down that bunny trail. The point is... You know, those kind of things when you hear that. I don't like this. You know, the preacher talks too much. He, he preaches too long. Singing wasn't as good as it ought to be. And just all that. In other words, what you're hearing is, you're not serving me to my level of satisfaction. That's what you're hearing. And if you don't believe me, you know this as well as I do. Church hopping and church shopping is incredibly common. In today's world. And that's true in all, you know, religions. It's not just the Lord's church, but sadly, it's also true in the church. You know, people, let's try that one a little while. Let's try that one a little while. They're, they're looking for one that serves them. And that's exactly what a customer does. I'm looking for a store. I'm looking for a company. I'm looking for a product that fits me. And that's the customer mindset. And it happens often in the church. And then a second thing about customers that's a problem when it comes to church is that customers get their way or else. We've all heard the saying, the customer is always right. That's the old business adage, been around for generations and generations, and it's valid, perhaps, in the business world. But because of that, the customer's always right, that gives the customer the leverage. Now, things are a little different today, it seems like, in my humble opinion, because sometimes, you know, you, you'd think, I, mean, I remember when we wanted to have our sidebar, our patio enlarged, we called three concrete, you know, guys, and yeah, we'll be out two of them, one of them didn't even show to give us an estimate, two of them came out and gave us an estimate, one of them never came back, well, I say he came out to give us an estimate, never gave us one, one guy gave us an estimate, and I'm like, do you people not want my business? So I'm, sometimes I'm thinking that there are some companies out there that really don't care who you are. They don't care what you want. I don't know how they stay in business. Never have figured that one out. In fact, the guy that came into the patio, he did it, and then he didn't like it and said, I'm going to come back and fix it. I never saw him again. Of course, he also never got but half his money. So, you know, but you know, I, I, did, I don't get any of that. But for the most part, the idea is the customer is always right. And so as that, I know that if I want to complain, I've got some leverage. So when things aren't the way that a customer likes it, folks will complain, some of them, until they get their way. And the big threat is, okay, fine. I will take my business elsewhere. 
And then in the age we live in today of social media, you know, a lot of folks go online and they write and complain about a company and then send it where it's all over the internet, you know, hoping everybody sees it and everybody, you know, and that's, that's what customers, how they act. You know, I'm always right. Well, customer Christians essentially do the same thing. It might be that they don't like the song selection, the sermon was too long, or the proverbial carpet color of their choice wasn't chosen. You know, whatever it is, you know, but it, the point is, if I am not specifically catered to in this congregation in some way, I'm going to complain. And I'm going to want to go somewhere else. And sometimes people complain, they cause division, with rumors and gossip, and they threaten to leave because, after all, the customer is always right. What am I saying when at church I'm trying to say that, hey, look, I don't like the way you're doing this? Now, there, I'm not talking about you can't give voice an opinion. That's not my point. I'm talking about people that just want to complain because they don't like something, don't offer a viable, you know, option that would fix the problem just let's complain and often let's not complain to the elders who can do something about it let's complain to the other members and kind of whisper and gripe and you know until somebody gets upset what I'm saying is basically I don't need you you need me and that seems to be an attitude that so many people in the church have you know, the church I, I don't need the church no the church needs me you need me to be in this pew you need me to put my check into play. You need me. I don't need you. I can go wherever I want. You need me. Therefore, I have the leverage. I have the upper hand. But true members of the body of Christ know that Christianity cannot be separated from Christ's serving heart and self-denial out of his love for other people. And those others include me and you. Now, if I'm not happy about something, believe me, just go ask the elders. I will offer an opinion. I will make a suggestion. Probably more often than they wish I would. But that's, I'm not going to go around complaining. You don't do that. You know, we don't spread rumors. You don't gossip. You don't demand that you get your way or else. And some folks do. You know, they will threaten to leave if you don't do things the way I think they ought to be done. True Christians don't do that. You know, they don't threaten to stop their contribution because they don't like what you're doing. They think we ought to, you know, I'm not talking about unscriptural things now. I'm talking about matters of opinion. How we do what God would have us do. I may feel like, you know, if we were doing it this, if we use this method, it would be better than the method we're using. Fine. Talk to the people that can do something about it. Share with them rationally and logically and peacefully and calmly why you have a problem with the way it's done now and why you believe this other option is more viable and would be more successful. But then understand that shepherds in a congregation have responsibility for the whole flock and if they don't accept and agree with your viewpoint, you don't threaten to stop putting the money in the plate because you don't like the way they're spending it because they ought to be spending it on my idea. No, that's not right. 
That's a customer mentality. Christians look for ways they can serve other people more, and they don't worry about getting their way. It's not my way that matters. Whose way is it that matters? It's God's way that matters. And as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the true child of God understands Christianity and diligently practices the command to consider others more important than themselves. My concern does not need to be, nor should it be, how are you serving me as a congregation? My concern needs to be, how can I serve God by serving others? And when I'm concerned about that, I will find a way to please God, and I won't have time to do all the griping and complaining. Customers are not loyal. Customers get their way or else. And then a third problem is customers have to be drawn in. And we understand that. Advertising literally is a trillions of dollars per year industry. I mean trillions of dollars are spent from the local level to the international level, advertising products. You know, I mean, you see it all the time. There was a time, you know, when lawyers weren't allowed to advertise. Boy, I wish we'd go back to that. I'm so tired of hearing these commercials. Call me, Alabama! But anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. But ambulance chasers are really beginning. They can't get on my nerves in a hurry. And then, you know, there was a time when it was pointless advertise prescription drugs because I can't go buy prescription drugs the doctor has to prescribe them to me before I can buy them but how many literally billions of dollars are spent by drug companies advertising on television and in print their prescription products why? because they figured out you know if hey you know I need to take that little blue pill or that little purple pill or I need, and you'll go to your doctor and you'll say, hey doctor, what about that drug I heard about on television the other day? And the doctor will say, oh, okay, well that, you know, if that's the one you want that work fits, fits your need, okay, I'll prescribe that one. Obviously it works. You know, and then just all the regular stuff that we see all the time. These people are not crazy. You don't spend money just to spend money. They invest in advertising because they know that in order to gain customers, they have to have something that will appeal to me. These companies compete with each other for customers in every field of business that you can imagine. They promote their superior product or their better prices or whatever they believe about their product will get somebody to bite and quit buying the competitors and start buying theirs. Well, in this age we live in of seeker-sensitive movement, churches do the same thing. You know, we do what we can to get people in the door. And then once they're in there, we try to give them an experience that will make them want to stay. And depending on the church, that experience may be preaching, 
that they, you know, count on to get people back. Maybe it's the worship service itself. Maybe it's the youth program. Maybe it's the beautiful building. Maybe it's all these things combined. And I'm not putting any of those down. We need to do the best we can in preaching. We need to have someone leading singing that can do a good job. We need to do the best we can with singing. In fact, I will contend that singing is the most important aspect. I mean, obviously on Lord's Day we meet for the Lord's Supper. But so far as making a service appealing, if you want to look at it that way, singing is critical. Because good singing can kind of overcome bad preaching. But good preaching will never fix bad singing. I need, I need, and, and if we have to, we ought to send one of our two of our guys to a singing school. And if we have to pay for it, fine. Have them trained. Get somebody that can help us sing. Singing is so important. It's the one thing that we all get to participate in in the worship. I mean, actively participate. And so it's critical. And I'm not putting down the desire to have good singing or good preaching or a beautiful building or a youth program or any of that. But the point is, if that's all we're doing to get them in, then if people decide that they want to come here or Grant Street or wherever it is, then we have successfully sold them on our product. That's what we've done. We've sold them and got them to bite and come the church with us. But when it comes to true Christians, true Christians come to church with a purpose. And that purpose is to worship God and to be connected relationally with people that they can serve and people who will walk with them in the Christian life. True Christians enjoy the singing, hopefully enjoy the preaching, and want, and I would say deserve in some ways, the best that they can get in all of those areas. But the reality is the true Christian doesn't come to the assemblies for that purpose. The true Christian comes to be uplifted through worship to God, singing those praises to him, whether it's great or not, as the world would see it, and being with my brothers and sisters in Christ that share a common faith in God, and I can find people that I can serve, that I can work with, that will serve with me, and that will walk with me spiritually every step of the way from here until my life ends and I end up in heaven with them. That's what the true child of God is after. You know, customers go to the person or the place that makes the best bid for their attendance. Christians... Go where they can serve. And that's a huge difference. So those are just a few of the problems with this idea of customer Christianity. Now on an individual level, I should strive to be a member rather than a customer. But what about on the level of the church as a whole? The congregation. How do we avoid building the customer mindset in a congregation? What determines if a congregation has customers or members well that all comes back to the leadership leadership will set the tone for all of that and the first thing that a good leadership will do to try to avoid the customer mentality is have vision and a purpose now if get people to come to church is the goal then the pews are going to be packed with folks that have a customer mindset 
If all I'm trying to do is I need people in the pews, well then that's fine, I may get them, but I'm going to have them there with a customer mindset because I'm going to draw them in somehow. And which would I rather have if you think about it? Would I rather start out with 20 committed Christians or 200 church customers? Who's going to get the most done to please God? And how we answer that with our actions, like our outreach strategies, the way we organize the local congregation, that will tell us what our purpose truly is. Getting people in the door and getting our numbers up cannot be the end goal. Yes. I mean, you ask me, yes, at Grant Street, do we want more people? Absolutely. We're doing, you know, we had some money, that was a gift that was given years and years ago in bank stock, and when the bank sold a number of years ago, they finally said the last surviving the sibling that gave the stock said sell it. So we did, so we had some money. So, you know, we're tired of just doing whatever, so that's why we hired two guys to go out full time and try to have Bible studies and bring people to Christ. That's their, that's their goal. <coughs> Sign them to a two-year contract, both of them, them and their families, and their job is to go out there, set up Bible studies, and convert people to Christ in and around Decatur or wherever. But, you know, we want, yes, you, I definitely, desperately want more people to come through the door. I want more people there every Sunday. But if we aren't making each person that enters the church building into mature, Christ-emulating disciples who serve other people, then all we're doing is we're just creating more customers. Romans 12, 1, we mentioned this one this morning. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So if leadership in a local congregation has no vision for the growth of the church and allows customer type Christians to drive the church by reacting to every complaint and demand that customer Christians make, then a customer mindset is going to rule the day. And if leadership lets people hold the church hostage by threatening to leave or withdraw their contributions, then a lack of faith exists and that renders the congregation very little different from just a common business, you know, somewhere down the street. And the customers will drive the church rather than God. We can't let that happen. Leadership must have a vision and a purpose that is communicated clearly to the members of a congregation. And that can involve a one-year, two-year, five-year, whatever plan, a mission statement, a vision statement, a purpose statement, call it whatever you want, but so that people understand here is why the Grant Street congregation exists. Here is why the new Antioch congregation exists. We're not just here to go to church a couple of times a week. Here is why we exist. And if I can't define that, then I don't need to exist. So, and, and to do that, 
then we adhere to that vision, making plan, you know, changes, tweak it, whatever. But we, and so there's a plan in place. There's a purpose in place so that customers don't drive. We're not reactionary, but we take action to begin. We're proactive, not reactive. And there's a difference. And if my leadership style is reactive to whatever, then I'm letting the customers drive the church, and we all know that God is the one that's supposed to do that. Leadership not only must have vision, but leadership must be intentional about choosing their methods for growth. Someone has said, what you win them with is what you win them to. And that's true to a great extent. And it's a principle that needs to govern our methods of church growth. If we win people to the church and not to Jesus, then we've got a problem. The problem is the church is made up of people and we're not perfect. And we're going to mess up. I mean preachers, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers. At some point, we're going to mess up. Somebody's going to disappoint somebody. And if a person is converted to the church, when the church disappoints them in some way at all, the tendency is they're gone. And, but when we convert someone to Christ, Christ never lets us down. He never makes a mistake. If we attract them with fun events, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm going to share one with you. I just don't want it on tape, but at the, uh, before I leave, that, that we've got going here in a few days. If we win them by attracting them with simply with fun events or entertaining preaching or anything but the gospel, and they desire to serve God, it's going to be very, very difficult to keep people engaged by continuing to do anything other than that which brought them in. So if what got somebody here is a great event, if I don't keep having great events, they're probably going to go somewhere else because they were one with and two a great event instead of to God and a humble desire to serve. So in true customer fashion, Folks like that will know that other churches are working to offer the same things to attract them. And if we fall behind some other congregation, they've got options just a very short drive away. And here they go. But if we bring people in by introducing them to Jesus and connecting them to his family, then we truly won them. So leadership must have vision and purpose, must be intentional. It's not serendipity, it's intentional about the methods we use for growth. And the leadership must be intent on equipping every member for service. There are ten talent, two talent, and one talent people that make up the church all over the world. Leadership understands who's who and what's what, and we need to do everything we can within our power to give every single member something to do that serves the greater good of the cause of Christ. Every member needs to be equipped to serve. See, when you walk into a restaurant, like I don't know, well, you didn't today because you had the potluck, but every Sunday afternoon, you know, we go and because uh, one of our daughters and her husband and their, our two of our grandchildren attend with us. And so every Sunday after the morning service, we go to a restaurant. 
By the way, guess who pays? Well, never mind. You already know who pays for all that because you probably got kids and grandkids too. And it doesn't matter how good a job they've got. You know. But anyway, the point is we go to a restaurant every Sunday somewhere. You know, we go to Chili's or Charlie's, Zaxby's, uh, you know, Camino Real Mexican because they got the $6 special. But anyway, the point is that we go somewhere. And when I walk in that door of that restaurant, I don't expect to have to set my own table or wash my dishes. Because I'm a customer. They do that for me. That's not what I do because I am a customer. So when I go to a restaurant, nobody asks me to clean the table. Nobody asks me to wash dishes. They have people for that. I go sit down and they serve me. However, when you're at home, even you guys... Are you not expected to at least put your dishes in the sink? Preferably rinse them off and put them in the dishwasher, guys, if you know what that is. Amen. Or if you don't have one, you may be the dishwasher. I don't know. But, you know, if your wife has you trained at all, I know you don't just get up and walk away from the table. I mean, when I'm at home, you know, somebody's expected to make up the bed. Somebody's expected to clear the table. Somebody's got to run the vacuum cleaner. And guess what? It's going to be me sometimes. Why? Because I'm at home. That's where I live. That's my family. I am invested in that place. So yes, sometimes I'm going to be cleaning up dinner. You know, the plates. I'm going to be putting them in the dishwasher. Every, I don't mind loading the dishwasher at all. For some reason, I hate emptying it and putting them up. I don't know why. It's just a thing with me. But every now and then, I'll do that too. You know, because I live there. I'm invested in that place. You know, and so if leaders bring members in and allow them to simply be customers who consume worship services and Bible classes but aren't given a place to serve, then what's going to happen? That person is going to develop a customer-based mindset. You just keep serving me. And we know that don't work at home. It shouldn't work in the church because this is my church home. Everyone needs a task. It doesn't have to be huge. But everyone needs a reason and a purpose. And that purpose is fulfilled in some level of service and that is a huge challenge to leadership and your elders here can tell you that I have no doubt that is a huge challenge but it's necessary because that's what we're supposed to be here for leadership roles like elders teachers and evangelists were created for a purpose and we already read it let's look at it again from Ephesians 4 and he himself gave some to be, that's Jesus Christ, God. He gave him sins, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. That's several different things. Why? Oh, here's why. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. 
From whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the building up or edifying of itself in love. What is the purpose of having elders, preachers, Sunday school teachers, all that leadership? The purpose of all that is to build up the church. And what that means is edifying, building up each member, equipping every single member, young and old, to have a purpose because the body is as strong as what every joint supplies. And you know that physically. You need not think much about maybe your little toe until you break it. And then all of a sudden you realize, you know, that little thing makes a difference. Every step I take is killing me. Obviously, I needed that. I just didn't know it. You know, you got a bad knee like I do or bad shoulders or whatever it is. You figure out how important every joint in that body is. And when they're off, the whole body's off. Same's true in the church. You may say, well, I'm not that important. Let me tell you something, brother, sister. You do something. And if you don't, the body is not as strong as God wants it to be. I don't care who you are. I, it doesn't matter if you're a teenage member or an 80 or 90 year old member. If you aren't doing your part, the body's not as strong as God intends for it to be. And just sitting on a pew absorbing the service like a customer is not all there is to Christianity. In fact, I'm here, that's a blessing. That's a recharge my batteries kind of thing. And I'm here to learn and be better equipped so that I can serve. We are to show people. Leadership is to show people how to serve rather than doing all the serving for them. You know, I sit in on the elders' meetings and, you know, I've done that for years pretty much anywhere I go, and I can't tell you how many times I've tried my best to get elders to quit doing what deacons are supposed to be doing and start shepherding like elders are supposed to be doing. But we have a tendency to micromanage, and so it turns out that, well, if it's going to get done, I guess I better do it. No. You know, you, when your children were young, and you said, son, you need to clean up your room, or daughter, I need you to clean up your room, you could have done it in ten minutes. It takes them two hours. But you don't step in because they got to learn. They got to figure it out. You know, and that's what we need to do in the Lord's church. I can't, I don't need to do everything for everybody. I need to equip other people so they can do what God wants them to do. And I will continue to do what God wants me to do. You know, shepherding is by example for the most part. So I should be able to look at my elders and say, that's the kind of life I want to live. If I follow that guy, I know I'm going to go to heaven. Because he is on his way. And the shepherds were always in biblical times out front, leading the flocks, not behind them, driving them out front, leading them. So through example, through teaching, encouragement, primarily it's all known as love for the membership then leadership can provide a great opportunity for people to be involved. And again, it's a huge challenge. Even in a small congregation, it's a huge challenge. And what really helps is the fact that even though the shepherd and the sheep analogy is probably used more than any other so far as eldership and membership, 
Members are not dumb sheep that just operate on instincts. You have a brain. You have the ability to reason. And Hebrews 13 tells us in no uncertain terms, basically that I need to make an elder's job as easy as I can. Why? Because that benefits me. It makes my life better. So what I'm suggesting is each member assess your own abilities. Don't sell yourself short. If you feel like, well, I feel like I'm bragging. If you can do it, you can do it. And folks, the flip. Philippians 4.13 says, whatever I need to do, I can do through Christ. So you think about what you can do for the cause of Christ right here at New Antioch, and then you go to your elders and you say, hey, brother, I was thinking last night, I don't know what we've got going exactly in this area, but I, I think I, could, I would really like to try, boom, and tell them. And I have an idea the reception is going to be pretty good because elders, after they get up off the floor from fainting that somebody actually came to them with an idea, volunteering to do something, then they're going to go, yeah, please. That's what we want. And so if we work together in tandem, we can all be happy, peaceful, and productive church members and not just service-consuming, demanding, and complaining church customers. There's way too many of those already. I need to not be one. And you know, I need to understand that if leaders don't equip, don't work to equip the members for service, then it creates this vicious cycle. And what happens is leadership treats the members as customers, which leads the members to act like customers, which leads the leadership to treat them as customers even more. And it never stops until somebody says, I'm stopping it. I'm stopping it. We are going to change that. You know, and that's up to all of us, basically. And we need to realize there is nothing more sacred here on earth than the Lord's church. Nothing. It is so important to Jesus that he called us his bride. Ephesians chapter 5. It's the church that will live with him eternally. And that sacredness should lead us to treat the church with the utmost reverence, both as members and leaders. Customers simply cannot do that. Customers view the church as something that's there for them to engage with on their own terms, and to their own liking. That's not what Christians do. That's not what members do. That's what church customers do. Members appreciate Jesus and his sacrifice way too much to approach the church with that kind of an attitude. Now, two questions. One, which one will you and I be? Am I going to be a church customer or am I going to be a member? And then a second question, and I asked this a few weeks ago, which ones are we creating at Grant Street? So I'll ask you, which ones are you creating here at New Antioch? Customers or members? It's important. It matters. It has everything to do with the future of this congregation and the church at large. I encourage each of us, determine within our hearts that we are going to be members 
whose purpose is to serve God through serving our fellow man. And we're going to try to help those that we already know have the customer mindset to get out of that by helping them, bringing them along with us and showing them by example and teaching how they too can serve. And then lo and behold, they will be much happier than trying to be a customer. I'm not fussing. I don't know what's going on here. But I'm just saying as a general rule, that's something that all of us need to be aware of and we need to be careful because our home congregations ought to matter because the Lord's church ought to matter. And I need to be a member, not a customer. And if I'm not a member at all, then I need to be born into the family of God, the church. We know that without faith we can't please Him, that if I don't repent I'll perish, that if I don't confess... You know, it's with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, Romans 10.10. And then I need to be buried with him, Colossians 2.12, in baptism for the purpose of having my sins remitted or forgiven, Acts 2.38, so that I can enjoy salvation from the lips of Jesus Christ himself, Mark 16.16. If you haven't done that, then this evening will be a great time. Or if, as a church customer, I want to change that. If a public response would help, then we're here. If not, commit between you and God right now. Then I'm going to stop being a customer, and I'm going to start being a member, and I'm going to do everything I can to help my leaders here at this congregation make this the most God-pleasing congregation that she can be. It's up to me. It's up to each individual member each individual child of God. And again, if a public response would help, then just come down front while we stand and sing.